Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Breakfast special. Welcome to the Breakfast Show's Environment Special Climate Connections. Wastewater is a growing health and environmental threat. According to the United Nations, wastewater is pushing the global water crisis we're facing right now closer to the edge of the cliff. Yes, the wastewater that comes from your kitchens and bathrooms, urban runoff, and a more sinister source, industrial discharge. Even though some data is available, the extent of global industrial wastewater generation is still largely unknown. We actually don't. And we don't really have quantitative numbers even for total amounts of industrial waste produced. So there is a significant amount of data that's lacking both in the United States and globally relative to what types of discharge impacts they have, volumes, etc. You know, often in the U.S., companies are left to self-report, and that's true in a lot of different nations. And so you don't always have a very accurate representation. In the last uh, last report that we saw through CDP, you know, which works with a lot of enterprise clients that are typically reporting on their carbon footprints, only about 4% of their participating companies that typically report on carbon reported on water. <laughs> and so we don't really know. Oriana Brechka, CEO of wastewater treatment company AquaCycle and an Earthshot Prize finalist, grew up without home sewage services in several rural towns across the United States. But now she's at the front lines helping to disrupt this long stagnant world of wastewater management. Industry falls squarely in the middle in terms of total volume consumption and as it relates, uh, discharge as well. So we know there's a lot of it, and we know that we need better data to really quantify, but also that most industries that are discharging wastewater, whether it's connecting to a sewer grid or doing an environmental discharge, it's much more highly concentrated in pollutants than you're gonna see uh, relative to sewage even. So that's why it becomes a bigger concern, not only the volumes, but the level of pollutants. This escalating issue has prompted scientists and governments worldwide to study the impact wastewater has on people and the environment. In the UK, researchers from the University of Oxford recently discovered that raw and treated sewage discharged by water companies is the primary driver of increased nutrients, algae and sewage fungus in rivers. The study also revealed that sewage discharge has a greater impact on water quality, animals and plants that live in rivers, more so than surrounding land use. Toxic industrial waste has also created havoc in Southeast Asia, where governments have sprung into action with remedial measures. Coastal communities and wildlife that rely on the Mekong River, which passes through Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia and Myanmar, are struggling to cope with high levels of toxic pesticide, heavy metals like mercury, and organic pollutants in the river. Meanwhile, the Marilao River in the Philippines, the Sitaram River, which flows through the Indonesian province of West Java, and the Chao Praya River in Thailand are all contaminated with dangerously high levels of arsenic. This brings to light the importance of treating wastewater from homes and businesses before it re-enters rivers and oceans. Yet we can't ignore the fact that wastewater treatment is still extremely expensive and an energy-intensive process which contributes significantly to planet warming emissions. 
So water and wastewater treatment in the United States consumes anywhere from three to 5% of our total domestic energy load. So it's a massive amount of energy consumption to move and to treat water. So you have your collection, you know, that happens at the point source, and then you have to move that wastewater to your centralized treatment facility. And in a, a large city, there could be several of those. Then, you know, you have to go through a series of different treatment processes that involve uh, separation, uh, biological treatment, disinfection, and then ultimately again back into distribution. And that biological treatment aspect of it, the way that we're doing it now, is usually aerobically based, uh, which means in order to grow the microbes that are going to consume the pollutants in the water, you have to force a lot of air into water for them to breathe. And pushing that air into huge tanks of water is the most energy consumptive part of the process. And then that also creates another waste stream which has to be managed. And there's been a lot of work going into how you optimize that, how you can better control it, uh, better digitize, monitor. You can recover energy, and that's great. However, there was a study done in the United States that was published in February of this year by Princeton University. And what they found is uh, a survey of 63 centralized treatment plants in the United States, which account for treatment of about 2% of our total uh, wastewater volume in terms of anaerobic process. Most of those wastewater treatment plants actually generate a lot more greenhouse gas emissions than we ever thought before, as was estimated by the IPCC, by like double. It's almost a factor of two higher than what we previously thought back in 2016. And most of that, as they accounted through their measurements, were from leaky digesters. So methane actually not being captured, but being released directly into the environment unintentionally. But anaerobic digesters are very tricky to keep operating smoothly. But Oriana and her team at AquaCycle might just have uncovered the secret to reversing that. Their wastewater treatment units remove pollutants at a rate 10 times higher than conventional treatment technologies. And the bioelectrical treatment technology, as they call it, uses naturally existing bacteria to convert organic waste and sludge directly into usable electricity. We do it in a distributed fashion. So we treat on-site where the waste is generated. Uh, and so our goal really is to complement existing infrastructure and to reduce the energy consumption requirement, as well as purify the water as best as we can before it gets to the centralized infrastructure so that our big facilities don't get overloaded by industrial flows. And so this whole concept and how we're doing it, why we're different, right? It started for me in 2004 in graduate school and really understanding how we could use biology differently. And ultimately, we developed a system that electronically controls biological processes instead of aeration or instead of you know, fixing methane into CO2. We have a whole other process, which is a natural process. But what we do is we select for organisms that have the capacity to generate direct electricity, so DC power, in their process of respiration and how they breathe. And so when we are you know, encouraging their activity, that means that they're generating more electricity at the, at the same time that they're consuming the pollutants very rapidly in the water. And so we can treat anywhere from 800 to 1600 kilograms of organic pollutants every single day with an energy footprint of only about 60, 60 kilowatt hours a day. Now, if that same concentration, that same load at 800 to 1600 you know, kilograms of pollutant went to central infrastructure for treatment, aeration, would require 2,500 kilowatt hours to do the same level of treatment. 
And because most of our treatment plants are not sustainably powered, most of it is all still powered by coal, that's where the massive uh, greenhouse gas emission offset occurs. But scaling up wastewater treatment, as Oriana acknowledges, is not a one-size-fits-all. And that's because costs can vary and more research is needed to figure out where the technology works or doesn't work. This is a challenge in water and wastewater in general, is that pricing is, is set very regionally. And so in some cases, we can save our customers upwards of 60% to what they're doing. But in some cases, we won't save our customers any money at all. Or we might be even more expensive, right? So it really depends on where they're operating. But we've had a great partnership with PepsiCo, uh, working at, at their bottling facility, uh, one of them here in California. And we've been saving them a net 30% against what they were paying previously and mitigating over 100 tons of greenhouse gas emissions every single month because we're doing that treatment on site. It's a challenge, <laughs> it's definitely a challenge. Uh, but one of the very critical you know, foundations of the design of our system is that it's very modular. And so we have these package plants, so they, they're built out into shipping containers, just standard size shipping containers. We can plug and play on a customer site anywhere in the world. And we are doing remote monitoring and controls, so we don't need a full-time operator there. So we're always watching and we get the alerts and we catch those problems before they you know, become an issue with the customer. And so that, that helps save on cost. It also helps us be able to scale a little bit faster. And depending on what the customer need is, we can put multiple containers or we take the container out of the equation, but instead of big tanks and big pumps, right? You have rows and rows and rows of our bioelectrochemical treatment technology reactors, which are about the size of a car battery. So you just have stacks of batteries instead of what we're looking at now. With the aim of healing the planet in a way that doesn't inadvertently create new harms, the AquaCycle team is currently working hard at expanding their reach to regions hard-pressed for better wastewater treatment options. So the amazing thing about the Earthshot Prize and the really the focus there is a tremendous opportunity for us to scale the impact. So we've been very fortunate to have great partnerships with our industrial clients, but now we have we can look a little bit broader than what we've been doing and really work with our industrial clients to say, okay, well, if we're providing you industrial treatment at one of your facilities, how about we can also provide a shipping container solution for a community that's impacted and doesn't have access to sanitation? Because these companies work everywhere. They have a global footprint and often in water-stressed areas. And in addition, right, to really focus on that sanitation piece where we started and to be able to better understand the challenges that are occurring globally in different communities because it is very local and it is very important to understand community need before coming in with a solution. And so with the network of the Earthshot Prize and all of the connections that they have across the world, we can get some of these answers faster and be more responsive in our product development so we can get this technology where it's needed and wanted. This was Climate Connections on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.